0: This is From the Sky, a companion podcast to Sky Island Journal, an independent international literary journal where we discover and publish the finest poetry, flash fiction, and creative nonfiction from around the world. Always free to access, we publish accomplished authors side by side with emerging voices for over 70,000 readers in 145 countries. My name is Jeff Sommerfeld co-founder and co-editor-in-chief of Sky Island Journal, and I want to thank you for joining me here at Voices from the Sky, a Sky Island podcast production where we delve deep into some of our favorite pieces since our journal's inception in 2017, and we go inside the heads and hearts of their creators as they help us more fully explore their literary works. With this being our first episode, I want to say a few words about our format and our goals for the program. I'll start with goals. I love it when artists have an opportunity to tell the stories behind their works, whether it be a poet, a musician, a carpenter, a sculptor, an actor, or any other kind of artist. I've been to concerts where songwriters take a few moments between tunes to explain where a particular song came from, what it means to them, or some cool anecdote about something that happened in the recording studio. And I love that. It gives me that extra layer of context to more fully engage with the music. Similarly, I once attended a professional production of Shakespeare's King Lear at Park Square Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I had the good fortune of hearing from the designers and directors beforehand to explain why certain characters were placed where they were on the stage, what the color schemes and the costumes, the lighting, and the set signified. And again... My enjoyment of this tremendous production later that evening was enhanced. Of course, when we encounter a work of art, we bring our own life experiences and our own interpretations to frame our responses and ultimately make the piece our own. What I hope to accomplish with this program is to give voice to the poets and writers who've created incredible works of literature and offer that extra layer of context. To help increase our appreciation of these works. In terms of format, each season we will feature a variety of writers and a variety of forms – poetry, flash fiction, and creative nonfiction – one at a time, to enhance your experience as readers and thinkers. Following a discussion about the published piece, each episode concludes with a reading by the original author, and I encourage you to follow along with the piece which will always be linked in our show notes. I'm so thankful that you are here and hope you get as much out of this program as we have through the process of creating and developing it for you. Today, we feature Sandy Coomer, whose poem, How to Spell America, appears in issue four, spring 2018 of Sky Island Journal and is linked in our show notes. Sandy Coomer is a poet, artist, Ironman athlete, and social entrepreneur from Nashville, Tennessee. Her poetry has been published in numerous journals. She's the author of three poetry chapbooks and a full-length collection titled Available Light from Iris Press. Sandy is a poetry mentor in the AWP Writer to Writer Mentorship Program and the founding editor of the online poetry journal Rockville Review one of the most innovative and collaborative journals I've had the pleasure of reading. She's also the founder and director of Rockville Writers' Colony in College Grove, Tennessee, a not-for-profit organization that exists to support, promote, and educate writers of all genres and backgrounds. Sandy's favorite word is believe. I had the chance to speak with Sandy earlier this year. She's a poet that I've held in high regard for a long time. And through our conversation, my admiration for her as a writer and as a person has only grown. I'm thrilled to share her valuable insights with you today. First, listen in as Sandy talks about her journey to becoming a published writer and offers a glimpse into her unique writing process.
1: Thank you. So I'm one of those people that was writing poetry when I was in elementary school, (laughs) And high school, some of that really simple, lots of love poetry and all that kind of stuff in high school, which, of course, I would I have in journals still, but I would never read anymore because so it would be horribly embarrassing. <laughs> I have really no formal education in writing. My college degree was in microbiology. I fell in love with the life sciences, and I loved biochemistry and immunology and microbiology. And so I was a microbiologist for many years. And I really did not write too much in my 20s and 30s. And I had four kids during that those times. And when my kids got older, I wanted to do something just for me. And I decided I would go to a local college and take a creative writing course. So that's what I did, and I fell back in love with poetry. And there I met someone that really changed my life. He's a Middle Tennessee poet named Bill Brown, and he became my mentor. And he pretty much taught me everything about poetry that, you know, that I know now. I went into that knowing nothing about craft. I had a huge interest in poetry, but I didn't really know how to write it. Back to those love poems back in high school, which were not anywhere near what I wanted to write now. So he... He really led me in becoming the poet that I am right now. He's still a very, very dear friend. So, my journey was writing early on and then taking a giant leap of not writing and and doing other things, and then back into poetry, which is now pretty much my life writing and editing, being involved in the writer's colony, which I direct.
0: I just love that story. A microbiologist falls back in love with poetry becomes a published poet, and Sandy didn't mention this, but she was a nominee for both the Pushcart and the Best of the Net Awards. And now she devotes much of her time to helping other writers pursue their passions. Continue listening as Sandy goes on to talk a bit about her writing process.
1: I am very much a morning person, so I get up early. And kind of the writing process that's always worked for me, and I can't say that I'm really regular about doing this for long periods of time, but I can do it for several weeks and I'll get so much done and then I'll drift off and wonder what happens. But what I do is get up and I will like, make a cup of coffee and sit at my writing desk. And the first thing I'll do is read. And I typically have five or six different poetry books going at any one time. So I'll read maybe three or four poems from each of four to six books, and I will just let the feeling of poetry and being in that, that mind space kind of fill me as I read. And almost always, by the end of that reading time, I will have an idea for a poem of my own. And it might be just from a word from one of those poems, and then that will lead me to a memory of you know, when we were on vacation or something. It just leads on to an idea or a process of, ah, now here's something I can grab hold of and let that carry me into my own poem. So I very rarely write just jumping into the writing part of it. I always read first. That's always worked really well for me. And then once I have a little bit of a poem started, then I'm almost consumed with it, and I have to revisit it 10 times for the next three days or something and just keep working on it and tweak a little line here and there, a word here and there, a line break, until I'm happy with the poem.
0: The combination of exploration, reflection, and discipline have definitely served Sandy well. Next, we shift gears to talk specifically about Sandy's poem, How to Spell America, According to Sandy, this piece could be easily categorized as a poem about immigration. And on a deeper level, it's a poem about language, communication, and seeing beyond. Rewinding to 2018, I still remember precisely where I was when I first read this poem. Standing in line at the Department of Motor Vehicles in Tucson, Arizona, I received a text message from my friend and colleague Jason Splashell. He asked me what I was doing and encouraged me to read the submission from Sandy right away if I could. I looked ahead in line, saw that I was still 8 to 10 customers deep, and quickly logged into the submittable website on my phone. I was immediately taken by the voice and the message of this poem. As I slipped my phone back into my pocket, I peered around the room, seeing all of the people who had joined me in the DMV that day. I did precisely... What Sandy had suggested in the poem, and I was able to see beyond. I reflected on the seemingly simple task of changing my driver's license and legal residency from Wisconsin to Arizona with all the paperwork, the documentation, and the conversation that it required. I saw beyond myself, and I was transformed. Jason and I accepted the poem for publication that same afternoon, and it continues to challenge and inspire us in many different ways. I believe it can do the same for you. If you are able to do so, please log into issue four of Sky Island Journal and explore the poem, How to Spell America, as Sandy explains how it came to life, its development, and what she learned in the process.
1: So I've been concerned about the immigration issue in the US for a long time. And as I thought about how to react intelligently to what I believed and still believe is a crisis situation, I realized that living in Brentwood, Tennessee, just south of Nashville, I was very removed from what being an immigrant really means. I I couldn't fathom the difficulties or really understand that situation. Tennessee is not a border state. We're right in the middle. But we do have immigrants, mostly from Mexico, but also um, from Guatemala and Egypt and India. I decided I wanted to get closer to the situation, try to walk in another person's shoes, so to speak. And... I became aware of an organization that helped immigrants who needed and wanted to become better English communicators. And as a writer and editor, communication is paramount to my work. Language is paramount. So it seemed the perfect fit for me as a way to understand one tiny part of the immigrant experience by working with this communication aspect. So I started volunteering with Nashville Adult Literacy Council, and the poem, How to Spell America, was written as a result of my experiences in volunteering with them. This organization served the Nashville community by teaching English, reading and writing and speaking to adults, and these students, most of whom English is not their first language, A lot of them speak Arabic, and almost all of the students that I worked with were first Arabic speakers. So the poem's reference to Arabic, that's one of the reasons why, because that was mostly my teaching experience, was with the difficulties Arabic speakers have in trying to learn English. So as I tutored and got to know some of these people, what I discovered was so simple and yet at the same time so profound that these people are just simply people, you know, beautiful humans with the same exact wants and needs as, as anyone else. Many of them are highly educated and had very high-level jobs in their home country, but without language skills, they have to work at lower-income jobs, you know, in the national area. Many of the women are stay-at-home moms, which makes them even more isolated and alone as they attempt to become true members of this Nashville community and society. And what was so interesting to me is the things that they wanted to accomplish as English speakers were just to be able to read the questions on a job application so that they could fill out you know, an application and get a job. They wanted to be able to read the note that their children's teachers sent home. I mean, so basic things. They wanted to be able to ask questions when they were looking for something in a store and and be understood, and they wanted to be able to join in a conversation just at a community event. These super basic things that we take for granted every day were very, very difficult and a struggle for them. So I kept thinking as I was teaching over and over, what if it was me trying to learn Arabic? As an adult, I'm sure that would be incredibly difficult, if not impossible. So it's so it's sobering when you think about it like that. And I think about how humbling it has to be for these students. They start with the alphabet and learning how to say the English alphabet and changing the way that their mouth has to move and work and their tongue and their teeth, making these sounds that their native language doesn't have. How incredibly difficult is that? So anyway, that's how the um, the poem was birthed out of this really intense experience of my huge admiration for these students. A lot of it is directly the experience I had, and I'm, I'm thinking about one particular student that I had that I bonded with, and she was she's just one that, she was a stay at home mom that was working so so hard to be able to communicate. And we were working through these workbooks. There's a reading book and there's a writing book. And I was trying to get her to think about the letters and how to say B and P. And she struggled with it so, so hard. It's just something that I, I owned that experience so deeply. Every time I would meet, meet with them, there. are thanks that they gave me and their smiles and their hugs and you know, that they, they understood that this was so important and they were so grateful for the opportunity. It was just such a beautiful thing. So it really impacted me in a, just a, a gigantic way.
0: It's amazing how our life experiences can lead to such incredible works of art. Now I know exactly what it was, about the opening lines of this poem that pulled me into its literary world and it's fascinating to hear from Sandy what she thinks might be effective points of entry for readers.
1: It well could be that the different voices or the different pieces of this poem combine to make what I hope is a powerful whole that there is this this lyrical image-driven narrative part that maybe moves things along. And then, to me, there's this break of what do you buy at the post office, which one of these pictures is, I mean, it's like a, an abrupt interruption, almost like you're living this life, and suddenly you're, you have to turn around and, and see something different or learn something new. And so with, with the, the change in the tone and the voice of the poem, I think that's the main driving factor for me. Also, and this goes back to having to read this poem many times to really uncover all the little maybe secrets, maybe little hints in here. There's some lines that you might read the first time and go, you know, what does that mean? And then if you think about it, I think the answer will come to you. And the one specific one I'm thinking about right now is in the second stanza, her husband is too tired at night to check her homework. Maybe you think, why, you know, why is he too tired? He's too tired because he's working two or three jobs mm-hmm. trying to keep, you know, to keep his family together. So there's all of these little things that when you stop and think deeper into those lines, there's more there that's not spelled out.
0: Sandy continues and talks about the poem's development.
1: I wanted to understand why some of these letter changes were so difficult. And so I looked up about the difference between um, Arabic and English and why Arabic speakers struggle with certain sounds. And so part of that became the poem, pieces of the poem, and part of the reading book became pieces of the poem. You know, so as far as developing this poem, I put all these pieces together. I know it's, it's a very jumbled poem in a way, but I think it works because it's telling a complete story. And a lot of our lives are are jumbled portions of our different experiences. And I think this poem kind of pulls those together, this experience of, of tutoring and getting to know these students and developing my understanding of the immigration issue and just seeing it from an entirely different viewpoint, not just looking at things on the television, but actually living in that experience. When I was writing this, I didn't come at it with, let's think of a great way to end this poem. So much of this poem just happened. But as I think about these lines, to me, this is a statement really on the, the experience of being an immigrant in a lot of ways. That there's these big differences, but there's also, I don't know, this, this, this closeness of being real and, and who you are as a person still. There are no silent letters. In Arabic, there are no silent letters, which kind of infers that in English, there are, which we know there are. And there's so much about the English and national community that these immigrants are trying to fit into that is taken away from them in a a sense or hidden from them or is, is the silent letters of their existence right now. And then there's no present tense for the verb to be. So there's no way for them to say, I am what? An American. I am in this community. There's that struggle. You know, I'm trying to say something at the end of this poem that is more global, perhaps, than just this one person's experience.
0: As I mentioned at the top of the show, each episode concludes with a reading of the piece by its original author. Before Sandy reads How to Spell America, following along in issue four at skyislandjournal.com provides a dual experience that is just incredible. And Sandy offers a few more insights about why that's so true for this particular poem.
1: I think this poem is a little difficult to take in fully just by listening to it. There's so many different voices really that are designated in various ways within this poem's structure. So I thought maybe before I read it, I would just say these four particular points. Number one, there's a narrative voice, which is the first-person speaker telling the story of this encounter with the Arabic student. Number two, there are quotes from the reading book, which are displayed in italics and indented in the stanza so that it looks different. Number three, there's this almost staccato language that is less imagistic and more factual and really intended to be an impression of what being an immigrant might feel like. And then number four, there's a comparison between English and Arabic, which almost sounds encyclopedic because it is intellectual and more like teaching facts. So the voices in this poem kind of weave around each other, and you can really tell that more by looking at the poem on paper than you can just by hearing it.
0: And finally, Sandy reflects on what she learned throughout this entire process.
1: I've learned that there's still so much more to learn I'm very removed from a lot of the global problems. Like I live in a very calm, nurturing community that we don't see lots of struggle or crime or, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm making an effort to push myself beyond that in a way and really try to understand other people's experiences, which I think is really important. The first thing that you can do to helping anybody, you have to kind of understand them and what their struggles are. So part of it is moving past my own self prescribed boundaries and trying to be out there in the world in some way. Like I'm probably not going to be able to go to the border and make a difference, but can I make a difference in Nashville in my own community? I hope, I hope I am. I think I am because I know I've touched a few lives here and there in this small volunteering thing that I do. So it's all about what can we do in our own communities, in our own space, and pushing ourselves beyond what's known and easy, getting out of that comfort zone and just trying to help somebody else.
0: I'm so grateful to Sandy for sharing her time and her thoughts with us in this episode. Her favorite word is believe, and I believe she truly has helped me see beyond. Listeners here at Voices from the Sky, thank you for joining us. We hope you will tune in for future episodes. If you like what you've heard, consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find great podcasts. We hope you'll also consider reading more tremendous works from Sky Island Journal. Available for free at skyislandjournal.com. Thanks again. And now, please enjoy How to Spell America, performed by its author, Sandy Coomer.
1: How to Spell America. I point to words in the reading book and she bends her mouth to letters. Her soft voice, persistent, behind teeth and tongue. Her eyes are dark, intense like an owl's and she weaves the forest of language with the pencil she holds in her hand. What do you buy at the post office? Which one of these pictures is a stamp? I speak slowly and give each letter an exaggerated sound P makes a different sound than B. With P, you must push the air away like you push away bad dreams and memories. With B, you cradle the sound in your arms like a child. Her son is 12 years, three months old. Her daughter is eight years, seven months old. They have lived in the apartment for two years six months. She is on page 58 of the reading book. She speaks Arabic at home. Her husband is too tired at night to check her homework. Arabic has eight vowel sounds. English has 22 vowel sounds. Arabic speakers studying English often switch B for P and F for V. The TH sound is especially difficult. I tell her another word for ID is identification. Six syllables, six sounds, a long complicated word. We say the syllables one at a time. I show her my driver's license. I tell her this is my identification. It's an important word. If you know this word, you know who you are. At the bank, we make a deposit, put money in. At the bank, we make a withdrawal, take money out. She deposits her life in America. She withdraws a home, a job, a family. I turn to the picture of the neighborhood and she points to each building when I say its name. She is proud to show me what she knows. Her eyes are glitter and light. When she can read English, she can apply for a job in the school cafeteria. Show me the flower shop. Show me the bakery. I am in the grocery store. I am in the library. We look up the word community in the English to Arabic translator app on my phone. She laughs, repeats the word. It floats on her lips, then rushes into the air like an eager bird. In Arabic, adjectives follow nouns. There are no silent letters. In Arabic, there is no present tense for the verb
0: to be.